1: Good evening, everyone. We begin the readout tonight with an historic moment, something that has never happened in the U.S. House of Representatives in 234 years of American history. Here is how it all went down.
2: The yeas are
3: 216. The nays are 210. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The office of Speaker of the House, of the United States House of Representatives, is hereby declared vacant.
1: And, and, and I just want y'all to be clear. This was a catastrophe of Kevin McCarthy's own making. It was Kevin McCarthy, and no one else, who after saying this, after the January 6th insurrection.
4: The President bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility.
1: Got on a plane, flew to Florida, and crawled on his knees to Mar-a-Lago to kiss Trump's ring and sell his soul to the Maga King. He did that, all in pursuit of the precious the Speaker's Gavel, which he held for just nine chaotic, pointless months, in which he routinely lied on TV about who was creating the chaos, blaming Democrats instead of his own fringe, made the occasional deal with Democrats and President Biden only to routinely break them, while allowing Trump and Putin's little helpers in his party, like Marjorie Taylor Green and Lauren Boebert and Paul Gosar and Jim Jordan to run wild, wasting your taxpayer dollars pursuing Hunter Biden and investigating gas stoves and drag shows while surrendering his own dignity and the dignity of the House by letting this junior bird man walk him like a dog.
5: Kevin McCarthy is the speaker of the House of Representatives, and he has failed to take a stand where it matters. So if he won't, I will. Let's get our act together. Let's get on with it. Let's vacate the chair and let's get a better speaker.
1: And now that Florida man, Matt Gates, has out-Trumped Trump himself, making good on his threat to call for a vote vacating the Speaker's office as punishment for Kevin's disobedience, and thus making history by dethroning Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene's hand-picked speaker. Talk about the student, a trash-talking, non-legislating, grifting TV politician, trumping the teacher. And in the process, Matt Gates has successfully ignited a war between the MAGA wing and the ultra MAGA
6: wing. There's a second group, small group. uh, Honestly, uh, they're willing to to plunge this body into chaos and this country into uncertainty for reasons that only they really understand.
5: Mr. Speaker, my friend from Oklahoma says that my colleagues and I who don't support Kevin McCarthy would plunge The House and the country into chaos. Chaos is Speaker McCarthy. Chaos is somebody who we cannot trust with their word. He has kept his word. I think we should keep him as speaker. So it's hard to make the argument that oversight is the reason to continue when it sort of looks like failure theater.
7: This Republican majority has exceeded all expectations. If this
5: House of Representatives has exceeded all expectations then we definitely need higher expectations.
1: (laughs) And yes, to be clear, the Kevin McCarthy, Matt Gaetz story and the Trump story, on which we have a lot to get to tonight, are the same story. Because every member of the Republican Party who wants to be anything in the Republican Party has survived, even thrived, by becoming Donald Trump. They're all either versions of him, like Matt Gaetz is, or completely subservient to him, like Kevin McCarthy, and waiting to reap the consequences when he inevitably turns on them. There is simply nothing left, nothing left, in Republicanism but that. Just those two choices, become the menace or serve the menace. Joining me now is NBC News correspondent, Ali Vitali on Capitol Hill. Ali, I know it's been a long and weird day. But let's get some updates here. So Kevin McCarthy is no longer the speaker. It does he have any plans to try to become speaker again?
8: And run again 15 No, Joy, rounds? and that's new. Okay. No, that's new in just the last few minutes from my sources and some of my sources, some of my colleagues' sources up here that McCarthy leaving the meeting, where you see a steady trickle of Republican lawmakers also leaving now, that he told his colleagues in a very short huddle he would not put himself up for Speaker again. We now expect to hear from the former Speaker McCarthy talking to reporters in just the next half hour or so. I imagine we'll hear more of his mindset of what led him to the this point. But I have to tell you, most of the Republicans that I have seen leaving this conference have been dejected. Many of them have said that this is an embarrassing moment for their party. And the reality is there is a lot of frustration for Republicans with the handful of their colleagues who voted to oust the speaker. The first time in history that that had that that has happened. Now we have a speaker pro tem, someone temporarily in that role. One moment, Joyce. Sir, what was it? like to hear Speaker McCarthy say he wouldn't run again? We're live right now.
9: Well, I was um, surprised a little bit. I just thought uh, I figured he would try to stick it out again, but I think he made the wise decision.
8: Thank you so much. I'll see you. We'll catch up soon. Uh, Congressman Burchett, one of those Republicans who voted to oust McCarthy and who said that some of the conversations that he had had with McCarthy in the last 24 hours or so made him vote against he could have had his mind changed he said but the way that mccarthy spoke to him made it so that he felt he couldn't support him again for speaker this is a conference that's now grappling what a post what what a post mccarthy reality looks like i'm not sure they know where they're going next maybe mccarthy will shed some light on that but i think there's just really mass confusion here joy as republicans adjourn for the night and wait to see what happens next
1: Wow. Uh, what what a day. What a time to be alive. Ali Vitali, great reporting today. That's Thank cool. you very yeah. much. Um, let's bring in De- Democratic Congressman Eric Swalwell, uh, of California, uh, as well as RN's former RNC chair, uh, Michael Steele. He is an MSNBC political analyst. Thank you both for being here. Uh, wow, wow, and wow. I- I'm going to go to you first, uh, Congressman Swalwell. Um, just for your reaction, uh, the Democrats sat, uh, Uh, A little smirkily uh, watching all of this happen, because this wasn't y'all's problem. This was the other side's problem. What did you make of what happened today? And the fact that Kevin McCarthy will not subject himself to another 15 round vote to try to become speaker again.
9: Well, it's tragic for America, uh, Joy. Uh, Over the past three years, I have witnessed in the Congress just too many first times and they're they're bad first times, you know, first insurrection, uh, you know, first time a speaker, you know degraded themselves so long to get the job and then first time that a speaker is removed. And it's bad for the country because the failures, these are the Republicans that they keep putting upon the country, are like crabs in a bucket. And they're trying to pull the rest of the country into the chaos that they crave. And I just keep telling myself during these different moments from the insurrection to today that this is not happening. This is not America's exceptionalism. And you see now that the Republicans, they have the majority. They have the majority, but they're an opposition party. They're, they're opposed to themselves. And, and the takeaway for me is America is a Corvette. You can never give these guys the keys to the Corvette. It's too good of a country to let them drive it or ever be in charge.
1: Uh, let, let me ask you this, because there was uh, some reporting that uh, leader Hakeem Jeffries who could have saved Kevin McCarthy if he had decided to whip in favor of, of, of retaining him um, in the end, decided we're not going to help this guy. He went on TV and lied and said it was Democrats who nearly shut the country down and were responsible for the near shutdown, even though it was Democrats who actually saved the country from a shutdown. He didn't wasn't honest about that. And and there was a sense, at least from the reporting, that people were angry uh, that rather than, you know, be thankful that Democrats were trying to work with him, he stabbed them in the back. And so he lost all the goodwill. Was there a point at which Kevin McCarthy could have made a different decision and maybe been saved and maybe had some Democrats vote to retain him?
9: Yes. Kevin McCarthy had always put his own job first and the country. Last And then you saw that with the debt ceiling where the Democrats delivered the majority of the votes. You saw that with keeping the government open this weekend where we delivered the majority of the votes. And when I went into the caucus meeting today where we had to sort it out, what I saw was a number of members who said, you can't trust this guy. You can't trust him for one second to keep his word. And, and so why don't we use, as Speaker Pelosi would always say, our diversity is our strength, but our unity is our power. Why don't we use our unity is power and leverage so that for the next government funding bill or getting Ukraine funding, we don't even have to negotiate with the crazies. Our unity can leverage the public sentiment to get us to the right outcome. And, and, and that right outcome, uh, I think you're going to continue to see it led by Democrats.
1: You know, uh, Michael Steele, I've had a lot of these conversations lately where people go, why can't Democrats get things done, right? And and then I I re-explained to them again that Republicans control the United States House of Representatives, and this is what that control looks like. Speaker Pelosi had literally the same margin in terms of the numbers of members that she had. Nothing like this ever happened to her, Uh, and yet the last three Republican speakers uh, Kevin McCarthy now joins Paul Ryan and John Boehner in being incapable of controlling a caucus with this narrow of a margin. And in their case, they had even wider margins and they both had to leave in humiliation and quit because they can't control their own caucus. This man lost three additional people who voted to oust him, Kevin McCarthy, who in- initially voted for him as speaker. He got eight votes against him. So he actually surpassed the number of people who voted against him last time. Yeah. He lost yeah. support as speaker. They can't do anything, nor can they even keep the government open without firing their speaker. How does one even argue that it is worth giving Republicans any power at all when this is the mess they've created of the last nine months?
2: So, so let me correct the record. Uh, it's not three speakers of the House. It's four. You forgot New Gingrich. He was the oh, first one they ran right. out on the rail. So right. we have now watched Republican majorities eviscerate four speakers of the House, which speaks to their inability to govern because they have no governing philosophy. And because of the uh, allowance of mm-hmm. factions within their own caucus uh, to dominate the narrative in the debate. I, I, I agree with my friend, um, uh, Congressman Swalwell, about the, the backdrop of all of this. Uh, what I am also aware of is that the country voted for this. We can't we can't not take that and set it aside. The country had a choice to hand this majority, knowing all of the crazy bat, you know what crazy that was fermenting inside the party. They handed them the majority. Because they were outdone purportedly or supposedly with what the Democrats were going to do. Oh, I guess, you know, roads and bridges and things like that mattered less. And they voted for this. Here's the concern. Don't walk away from this joy thinking that they won't hand it back to them in 2024. And this is going to be the challenge and the opportunity for Democrats over the next 13 months. Is to make the case of what this leadership choice is, right? Because you've got folks right now, Joy, just the last point, you've got folks right now blaming Democrats for <laughs> ousting <NRCC>. Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> yeah.
9: And
7: I'm
2: like, wait a minute, did I miss the 15 votes it took Kevin McCarthy to convince his Republicans who had the majority to make him speaker? Did I miss what he did with that speakership when he said to Matt Gates, oh, We will no longer require 20 votes in the House to to vacate the chair. We'll give the power to one member only. I don't remember the Democrats calling for the vacating of the chair. So, you know, we've got to get the narratives correct here. And the Democrats need to get in front of this because you're getting blamed right now for ousting the Speaker of the House.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's hilarious that, first of all, Kevin McCarthy did not earn the support of Democrats. There's no reason for Democrats to support no! him. He was stabbing them in the back every time. But I will correct one record. I, I never get to, don't really get a chance to correct my friend Michael Steele on this. The American people didn't hand the House back to Republicans. They used an illegal map in Florida to force their way back in. With an illegal map, of gerrymandering in Florida, a stupid gerrymandering in New York that was their own of their own making, and the fact that you had illegal maps in places like. Tennessee that are fighting, okay, you know, okay, to the last Joy, dog die. To, to try. But I'm just saying they gerrymandered their way back. End, I got you, right?
2: I got you. Mm-hmm. I understand that. But you go and explain that to voters out in the Midwest. You go and explain that to some of uh, uh, the congressmen. I mean, uh, some of the some of the congressmen's uh, uh, voters in his district. That ain't how people see it. What they saw was I went to the vote, the polls, and I voted for X. And as an outcome, the Republicans have power. And so Democrats need, I get what you said there, and I agree with you. I know how that played out. But the politics is a different conversation. And the conver- the political conversation is the country handed Republicans the power. The Democrats now have to make the political counter argument as to why that power, they cannot A, be trusted with that power, and B, they need to take that power away from them in 2024. Now, you can talk about bad elections elsewhere around the country, and you can talk about what Republicans may or may not have done at a polling place. The reality of it is you've got to put it in a succinct enough soundbite that people understand it.
1: Well, I'm going to give uh, the congressman the last word and let him do that and make that case, because indeed, the NRCC is attempting to blame Democrats for this. But it is very clear. I watched the vote go down. Clearly, Matt Gates pulled... The trigger. Uh, he pulled out, took out the gun, you know, and it was his decision. And eight Republicans went along with it. And there was no reason for Democrats to help. So this is how it went down. Your thoughts? Yeah.
6: yeah,
9: Michael's right. We need people to know Republicans are at war with themselves and we are working for working people. And so we're the party that gets things done. So choose competence over chaos. Choose community over corruption, you know, choose keeping your kids safe in their school and and building a bridge in your community and making sure that women have reproductive rights over, as I said, a party with no philosophy, no principles that just craves the chaos. We have to make that clear. We've got about 13 months to do it. uh, And and I'm convinced uh, we've got a case to make.
1: I mean, it's either checks, bridges and Wi-Fi or foolishness. It's either women control (laughs) their own bodies or these jokers control your body. Do you want these people controlling your body? Yeah. Okay. This is this how that looks? They,
9: they can't, can't even control, control their own the body Congress. in Congress. Right, right. That's There right. you go.
1: <laughs> Congressman yeah. Eric Swalwell, this was quite a day. And Michael Steele, yeah. thank you, my friend. Much appreciated. Up next pleasure. on The Readout. Yeah. Yep. Cheers. Breaking news from Donald Trump's civil fraud trial. The judge has said enough is enough. Placing a gag order on Trump after he posted a vicious online attack against the judge's law clerk.
7: and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future.
1: Now, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy was not the only Republican facing the back of the hand today. Donald Trump earned a smackdown from the judge during the second day of his New York civil fraud trial, with the judge doing something no other judge has been willing to do so far, and that is to slap a gag order on Trump. It came after Trump attacked Judge Arthur Erdogan's law clerk and Goran's law clerk on social media while sitting in the courtroom. That attack included Trump blasting the clerk's personal social media account information to his millions of followers. Following a nearly hour long delay, an angry judge or er, angry judge and Goron made clear that personal attacks on his staff were unacceptable and would not be tolerated. He added that any further violation of this order would lead to swift and meaningful sanctions, and he ordered Trump to delete the post, which he did, only after which the trial resumed. Of course, Trump's dangerous actions should come as no surprise. He has been relentlessly attacking the judge and New York Attorney General Letitia James, as well as anyone else related to any of his many legal cases. But in this case, we are seeing the twice impeached, four times indicted, civilly liable for sexual abuse, former president— was facing a potentially devastating loss in this trial, falling back on his overused tattered playbook, which he has used for years, sometimes nearly verbatim.
5: This is a rigged court. It's, it's a rigged I, election. I, 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 this is called election interference. And it's Democrats. They're
4: going they're trying to rig this election. This is election interference. This guy's a highly partisan person. And we can't let this stuff happen. This will be, in my opinion, the most corrupt election in the history of our country. And we cannot let this happen. Uh, You see what's going on? It's a rigged deal. You know what's going on. It's a rigged deal. I think it's a disgrace to our country. I think it's a disgrace to our country.
1: Joining me now is MSNBC Legal Analyst Lisa Rubin, who is in the courtroom today, along with Andrew Weissman, former FBI General Counsel, MSNBC Legal Analyst, and co-host of the Prosecuting Donald Trump podcast, and David K. Johnston, distinguished visiting lecturer at Syracuse University College of Law, and who has been reporting on Trump's financial situation for decades. Lisa, I'm gonna go to you first, please tell us Uh, about the the atmosphere in the court, because there was that long delay during which apparently Trump was tweeting and then getting in a lot of trouble for it. Please tell us how that all went down.
10: You know, Joy, today was a calmer day in court than yesterday was overall. Many fewer members of the media there. And generally speaking, the tone was different because we saw Donald Bender, who is Trump's former accountant, on the stand for most of the day. Because he's a former accountant and because they were talking about the statements of financial condition, that testimony was sometimes dry, but the day changed dramatically when that Social media post was apparently brought to Judge Arthur and Goron's attention. And as you noted, there were a bunch of different breaks. When we first broke for lunch, Trump and his lawyers and Letitia James and her lawyers were brought back into the courtroom, and all of the media who were present were not allowed back in. That was a sealed courtroom for a private conference. That happened again later today when we were supposed to resume the trial for, as you noted, about 45 minutes. And that's when Judge Nguyen retook the stand and made clear in front of everyone present, consider this statement to be a gag order And then proceeded to say that none of the parties are permitted to talk about any member of his staff, whether publicly, over email, or over social media. As I said to our colleague Nicole Wallace earlier today, hell hath no fury like a judge whose staff has been messed with. There is no person about whom a judge is perhaps more protective than the members of his staff, aside from the jury. And given that there's no jury here to terrorize, that post about the judge's law clerk was one step way too far for Judge Arthur and on today.
1: Uh, Lisa Rubin, thank you very much. We love having your eyes and ears uh, in that courtroom. Thank you. Um, uh, let me go to you, Andrew, on this. We know now that the, the post, which we are not going to show because we don't want to further traumatize and um, put this woman in further harm. This law clerk, um, I believe is a woman, um, Donald Trump tweeted Her social media, sending his many, many millions of followers after her, giving them direct access to her, um, and, and made all sorts of really lascivious claims about her by name he is already threatening. We've already got all of this news here that Trump has been ramping up his violent rhetoric against all the prosecutors, the judges. No one's really come at him yet. This judge has said, this judge, who by the way, has to have security. He has to be escorted home um, by security and driven to the courthouse by security because of the threats. He finally said enough. What do you make of that?
11: Let's just put this in context, Joy. Um, You have all of the judges except Judge Cannon have been threatened by Donald Trump and people who respond to his words. You have the prosecutors, you have witnesses, you have Mark Milley, a war hero, being threatened. Um, This, for I think many people, is a day that took far too long to come. Um, The thing that I think any judge overseeing one of the four criminal cases that Donald Trump faces have to be incredibly concerned about is violence and violence actually occurring. People have already been arrested for threatening the D.C. judge uh, who oversees his D.C. case. Um, And this is it's taken a lot for the judges to react because they're concerned about due process for the defendant Um, But that bending over backwards comes at considerable risk to all of the people in the process who are just doing their job. And so it's a difficult situation for the judges, but we're dealing with a situation that is so highly volatile and a person who's so highly volatile, who has followers who are willing to act on his words. And we've seen that over and get over again, starting with January 6th, um, but seeing it now. So I think it's good that this happened, but I think that we're going to see what Judge Chutkin does on October 16th when there is another motion uh, that is to uh, have further restrictions placed on him because he's out on bail.
1: Yeah, I mean, David K. Johnson, I mean, he has a cult. To put it bluntly. Um, and, you know, you are the person who apprised uh, me of all of his mob connections, uh, during his business, gr- the growth of his business in New York. He acts like a mob boss. At some point, uh, the judges are going to have to treat him like a mob boss. No, because his cult, you know, some of them have already threatened to get violent.
3: Well, mob bosses don't do what Donald is doing in public. If they want to get somebody out of the way, they'll do it. But they don't do it by publicly announcing it. I think it's very clear here that Donald is trying to provoke a judge In the hope that they will make an error into locking him up by going after people who are irrelevant to the circumstances before him. The clerk in this case has nothing to do with these issues. General Milley is not going to be intimidated by Donald's threats. He was a valorous infantryman, but a clerk in the court. And so I think Donald will keep probing and testing to see if some judge will remand him uh, will lose his cool and somehow create an opening for Donald legally or politically.
1: The other thing I think he's doing, I, I think you're onto something here, David and Andrew, I, I want to talk to you about this, because Donald Trump has been going around saying something that is just patently untrue, that he's being denied a jury trial. Now, I'm going to put up the form uh, that the that Attorney General Tish James uh, and her office filed. There's a little tick. If you all can see that on your TVs there on, on your screen, there's a little tick that we've yellowed out that says trial without jury, um, meaning you're just going to go to a trial before a judge at a certain point. He and his lawyers and Alina Haba, his attorney, could have also ticked that box and demanded a jury trial. Right. This is not normally a jury trial type of case, but they could have asked for one. My understanding is they had about 15 days at least after the filing that they could have asked for. They never did. And the fact that they didn't demand or try to litigate having a jury trial. The fact that they're trying to, again, play with the public's consciousness by saying they're being denied a jury trial, I think is also insidious and also sort of a call to violence in its own way. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I think Donald's lawyers or any reasonable lawyer would think seriously about having a jury in Manhattan, given Donald's attacks on people in Manhattan. That is, this may have been a mistake by one of Trump's lawyers who've proven not to be very good. uh, But it could also have been a deliberate strategic decision to have a bench trial.
1: And, And Andrew, your thoughts on that, because he could have demanded one, right?
11: Yeah, look, there's no question that this is not on Tish James and her staff. Um, They could have, Trump could have asked for a jury. It's unclear whether he is legally entitled to it because of the nature of the case. But he certainly could have litigated it. Any um, person who really wanted a jury would have asked for one and would have come up with legal arguments um, he certainly has made tenuously legal arguments before. This is one where, look, it, it's just a bald face uh, misstatement, shall we say, for him to claim that it's anything other than his own doing. Um, so he is decided that he's going to have the judge decide this. And then he also decided that he's going to attack the judge who is deciding it, which makes it very clear that he doesn't think that he has the facts or the law on his side. And that's why he's doing this because he's playing not to the the courtroom and what's going on in the courtroom where law and facts matter. And you can tell the judge, in spite of what, how the defendant is behaving, um, trying to make sure he is accorded all of the rights because of the rule of law in this country. Um, But it is remarkable that that is the situation with somebody who was the former president of the United States.
1: It's it's breathtaking to think that people allowed him to be that. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, Andrew Weissman, David K. Johnston, thank you both very much. Coming up, former Trump chief of staff John Kelly confirms reporting that Trump considers members of the military to be suckers and sees dead and wounded service members
0: as losers. Back in a sec. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to do list teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.
7: The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. You
1: may remember a sickening and shocking insight into Donald Trump's view of those who sacrificed their lives to serve our country in the military. The Atlantic reported in 2020 that Trump, who got a Vietnam deferment for bone spurs and said surviving STDs was his Vietnam, called U.S. troops losers and those who died in battle suckers for getting killed. We now have confirmation of those disgusting comments from someone who was there, Trump's former White House chief of staff, Marine General John Kelly. In a statement to CNN, Kelly slammed Trump saying, quote, what can I add that has not already been said? A person that thinks those who defend their country in uniform or are shot down or seriously wounded in combat or spend years being tortured as POWs are all suckers because there is nothing in it for them. A person that did not want to be seen in the presence of military amputees because it doesn't look good for me and rants that our most precious heroes who gave their lives in America's defense are losers and wouldn't visit their graves in France. Kelly's statement ends by saying Trump is, quote, a person that has nothing but contempt for our democratic institutions, our constitution, and the rule of law. There is nothing more that can be said. God help us. God help us indeed. Joining me now is Paul Rykoff, founder of Iraq and Afghanistan, Veterans of America, and host of the Independent Americans podcast. Uh, Paul, thank you very much for being here. I'm going to allow you to give us your shocked face uh, that Kelly confirms it's all true.
6: Yeah, I mean, about time. We needed to hear from Kelly, you know, years ago, but we're finally hearing from him now. And I think the, the bigger issue here, Joy, is that it's all about national security. I think whether we're talking about Matt Gates and what's happening in Congress or Trump's attacks on our military leaders, there's two parts of this. You've got the national security piece, which can't wait till the next election. And then you've got the election where people are trying to make sure that Trump isn't reelected. And I think the national security piece is what's most pressing. So you've got General Milley who's speaking out in an unprecedented ways. Now you've got General Kelly who's speaking out in an unprecedented way. I hope we see General Mattis and McMaster and others do the same because, frankly, we need this to be stopped. There is a national security risk. He's threatening people out in the open. He's attacking our military. And it's a part of a larger coordinated attack that includes the radicals in Congress who are undermining our national security. They're defunding our military. They're blocking our generals. And it can't wait till next November. So I'm glad that Kelly's finally speaking out. And he could be uniquely effective with the people who are influenciable with independent Americans and others. So I hope this is a dam breaking and the rest of the generals will follow him and pour it on.
1: Well, I mean, and I'm glad that you mentioned Mark Milley, who I think is heroic in a a way that I do not believe about Kelly. I mean, they, they, but they both do represent something that happened during Trump's term, right? The way that military people were sucked into the MAGA universe and in some ways used the way Milley was with that upside down Bible march and the way Kelly allowed himself to be a part of it. I mean, Kelly is the guy who slagged a black woman, congresswoman from Florida, lied about her, refused to take it back after Trump insulted the family. Of a dead U.S. military member who was killed in Niger, he did that. So he's a, he was a bad guy during and and was down with him. Served two positions in the administration. Does, is it is it extra important that someone like him, who was part of the problem, starts to speak out, and not just people like Millie, who actually were quite heroic in defending us from Trump?
6: Yes because they have the most tea to spill. I mean, they've been sitting next to this guy for years. They know his true character. They know how many times they had to stand up behind closed doors and stop him from doing crazy stuff. And again, I think they can influence moderate Republicans. They can influence independents. They can get people to kind of break this dam, especially on the national security issue. I, I keep coming back to it. Chaos is our new normal. And and, and whether it's Donald Trump or it's Matt Gates, they want chaos. That is the goal. They're like political suicide bombers. They're ideologues. They're radicals, they're extremists, and they're okay with bringing it all down. And that's also Putin's goal. Our enemies are celebrating. Watching all of this put together, America is weakened, our institutions are weakened, our allies are weakened, and our enemies are celebrating. So I think the question for the Democrats is, what are you going to do about it right now? We can't wait till November. How can you deal with this to have people sequestered, to have people removed? Tommy Tuberville is an example you and I have talked about before. What are you going to do about it? I'm talking all the Democrats out there and the Republicans. Why hasn't a single one of you Called for him to be expelled. They're talking about Santos. They're talking about Menendez. Now they're talking about Bowen. But what about the guy who's undermining our national security every day? So independents, Republicans, Democrats, we're all looking for people in Washington, not just to whine and complain, but take action. What can you do right now to protect our national security and protect our troops and our national defense?
1: I'm glad you mentioned Tuberville. Let's play uh, Mark Kelly, who is the uh, congressman from Arizona, a senator from Arizona, sorry, taking him apart. Uh, And uh, he is indeed a veteran. veteran. Take a look.
5: There's nobody more military up here than me. As far as I could tell, there's at least four of us, maybe more, that served in the United States military, uh, in some cases for decades, and at least three combat veterans. So I take great exception to what Senator Tupperville had to say. And I've heard him say it before. And it just doesn't make any sense.
1: Uh, Democrats did manage to force him to stand down on some of our senior leadership, uh, getting votes up or down in the United States Senate. He still voted against C.Q. Brown, by the way, uh, Joint Chiefs Chairman C.Q. Brown, because he said he didn't like the fact that he wants diversity in the military. So he's still
6: at it. Yeah, and, and 10 other radical Republicans in the Senate voted with Tuberville on that. And I think what Mark Kelly is saying is right. He's the right messenger. People like him and Tammy Duckworth, who are combat veterans, can punch back. But I think they've got to go further. They've got to amplify the message, and they've got to call for Tuberville to be removed from the Senate. Get him out. To actually work within the confines of the Senate, whether it's to expel him, censure him, try to remove him immediately, because every day we wait, our national security is being weakened. So I think now the question is, can they push it forward? Can they actually take action yeah. that will result in making us safer.
1: That is a good question, and we're going to talk more about what the, on the gate side they may be trying to do that to him. So it, it is an excellent point, Paul Rykoff, Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, you Very much. We'll be right. We'll be right back.
4: My goals have not changed. My ability to fight is just in a different form. You need two eighteen. Unfortunately, four percent of our conference can join all the Democrats and dictate who could be the Republican speaker in this house. I don't think that rule is good for the institution, but apparently I'm the only one. I believe I can continue to fight maybe in a different manner. I will not run for speaker again. I'll have the conference pick somebody else. I hope you realize that every day I did the job regardless whether you underestimated me or not. I wanted to do it with a smile. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Moments ago, Kevin McCarthy, who was ousted today as speaker by the rules that he agreed to and by his Republican caucus, confirmed that he will not try to win back the speakership. Surprise. Uh, NBC News correspondent Ali Vitali's is back with him, Capitol Hill. Uh, Ali, wh- what have you got? <laughs> I just. <laughs> <laughs>
8: There were a lot of questions that I had, Joy, going into this, specifically if McCarthy would explain why he wasn't putting his name forward again. It seems that this is a man who has lost faith in the institution that I think some would argue he helped to break or at least push to its breaking point, there's so much mistrust and distrust between the parties right now, in large part stemming from January 6th, but also because every action of bipartisanship has been met with politicization and talking points on cable news and in other spaces when it's all said and done. And so for McCarthy, there were a few bits of hard news tonight that I heard around the idea, for example, that he hasn't thought about his future in Congress. He doesn't know if he's going to continue serving in. In this building. He doesn't know if he's going to anoint a successor or throw his support behind someone. But he was thankful to the roughly 200 Republican members, the majority of his conference, who continued to stand behind him despite repeated attacks and motion to vacate <laughs> threats from this conservative right wing in his flank. I do I, think, though, what, yeah. it all comes full circle. It all comes full circle, Joy, because one of the things he's continuing to do tonight is blame Democrats for not saving him when even (laughs) as recently as this weekend during the shutdown, they helped him avoid a government shutdown. And he went on television and said that Democrats were trying to block a shutdown when that's not what happened at all. This is part of why there's no goodwill there. Thank you for saying that. That is literally
1: what I was going to ask you. This, There's no trust. It's not cable news. He went on CBS Broadcast News and tried to say it was Democrats who were shutting down the government. You had one job, man. Don't stab Democrats in the back. Then don't blame Nancy Pelosi, who's at a funeral. If she's powerful enough to take you out from a funeral, she
8: should be the speaker. Not you. (laughs) So don't try to blame Democrats. I mean, I I do think it's important for us We also need to point out McCarthy regularly reminded us of the tight margins and difficulty of his job. And yes, that's true. But Nancy Pelosi similarly had these tight margins and wide range of views within her caucus. And she never had this problem. She had not similar, the same. She had the
1: same majority he has, but she knew what she was doing. And Hakeem kept all his people together because he knows what he's doing. You know who don't? Kim McCarthy, that's why he's not speaker. Allie Vitale, thank you so much. Much appreciated. Ooh, what a day. The, up next, we gotta, we gotta go go positive now. The great LeVar Burton joins me next to mark banned books week. As conservatives, they still had it, ramping up, uh, ramp up efforts to ban books that make them feel all icky inside.
7: I'll be right back. <laughs> No one is looking to ban books. The Moms for Liberty certainly isn't. We're not advocating for banning anything. What we're talking about is curating content in a library.
5: This idea of a a book ban in Florida that somehow they don't want books in the library, that's a hoax.
10: Families' concerns about books in schools are not book banning.
12: You come here and you say censorship is bad, and of course it's bad. But the obvious response is, okay, you heard the books we're
2: talking about. To put it bluntly, Books aren't being banned, and it's good that
5: they are.
1: Wow. Republicans love to have their cake and also eat it, banning books and then straight up denying that that's what they're doing. Despite their protest to the contrary, book bans have been escalating at a horrifying pace. More than 3,000 books were banned in the past school year, a 33% increase from the previous year. And nearly 4,000 books have been challenged in libraries so far this year. Joining me now is the honorary chair of Band Books Week, LeVar Burton, who many of us remember from Reading Rainbow and other amazing performances, including Roots and Star Trek, The Next Generation and so many, many, many other things. He's a 15-time Emmy winner and also has a Grammy, a Peabody and seven NAACP Image Awards. And I'm a super fan. So I'm going to just uh, thank you for being here, Mr. LeVar Burton. And I would like to let you respond to Republicans being so concerned that people hate the book bans that they're trying to say they're not bans.
12: Well, you know what? The the disingenuous nature of those sound bites that we just saw is not stunning or surprising to me because this is what they do. And the thing that's being left out of this conversation is the idea that we want age-appropriate books in the hands of our kids. <sighs> Look, I say all the time, every book is not for everybody, but there is somebody for every book. And if you want to take a book out of circulation because of, of its LGBTQ content or because it represents slavery as, as the, as the institution that it was, then you need to, as the old folks used to say, you might need to sit in a corner and contemplate why you think that way for a minute or more.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm going to put up a map. And this is just where the book bans have happened. And and to be clear, they're not just targeting school libraries now. They're targeting library libraries, which is where Public so many libraries. of us grew up. Public libraries. So they're essentially saying and in some cases, it's 11 people in the state of Florida who are responsible for nearly all of the book banning requests. And Florida is responsible for 40 percent of the book bans. So it's a small number of people saying that no child of any age can read these books at all
12: anywhere. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's one thing if you want to monitor and have sway over what it is your child consumes literature wise or in media. But you do not have the right to take the, the right to read away from other kids. It's just it's it's silly. And we we, we, we have to. We have to resist so that they don't get to do what it is they're trying to do, which is force an agenda on us. They accuse us of having an agenda with diversity, equity and inclusion. Well, this agenda is about censorship and mean spiritedness and 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 control over others. And and we're not having it.
1: You know, so so talk about what Ban Book Week, but Ban Books Week is going to entail. What What is the organization looking to do?
12: Well, on on the seventh, we're, we're we're having a free to read day, right? Um, and the the idea is just to bring attention to the issue. This we're having this conversation in in our country about who we are to be as a nation, and banned books um, and such practices are an integral part of that conversation. So, awareness. We want you to know that there are things that you can do. You can, as a parent, get involved with. Your child's reading at the school level. You can support the school librarian. You can support the teachers that are trying to do their jobs. You can support writers and publishers and booksellers. Um, you can buy banned books. Uh, there are myriad ways in which you can participate and and be counted. Stand up and be counted. The most important thing is resist. Re- res- don't go for the okie doke. Joy is my message. Amen. Resist.
1: Amen. Resist.
12: Resist.
1: Amen. And I love hearing that, especially from you, who, I mean, for a lot of us, you know, you were a person that was a guide for a lot of us who love books and who love to read. And I will say librarians are absolutely my favorite people besides teachers. Librarians are awesome. We need to support them. They don't get paid enough to go through the hell they're being put through by a small number of small-minded people. LeVar Burton, you are the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are the perfect person to kick off this band, Books Week, for us. (laughs) Cheers.
8: And that is tonight's readout.